We will rock you. Rock you. That song is fire right there. Who doesn't love some Queen? We will rock you. Happy Friday, you guys. This is your boy, Sina Azari, CEO accredited. We are coming at you live from the All Mindset Studio in beautiful Orange County. And you know, we got our boy, the People's Advisor, Mr. Matt Franchina. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. And I hope Matt, you guys are... How you been? How you been, Matt? You are just having a, a killer month, killer week, man. Helping a lot of individuals, providing a lot of value, making a tremendous impact out there. I, I appreciate that, man. It's uh, It's been really good. The last two days have been long, I think 14, 16 hour days, but packed with with impact and helping people. So it, it keeps me fired up. Yeah, man, and those long days, uh, as long as they're providing value and you're, you're going home feeling tired, but knowing that it was um, really you gave it all you got, that's what's important. So we have a, we have a really exciting guest that uh, has been very generous to make it out to our studio live. Uh, this gentleman has a tremendous history when it comes to financial services and serving those. Uh, his purpose is so significant when we dig deeper and he shares with us all the details and value he's been a significant influence on myself on our organization here at the shop and i'm very excited just to give you some history about this gentleman um, mr douglas mcdermott he is the founder and owner of mcdermott financial insurance services former owner of the annuity store which is located in sacramento california providing a significant volume of annuities to many individuals across the country he's an educator he's a uh, professional when it comes to serving others and a, a very well-known national uh, figure when it when it comes to the financial services industry mr doug mcdermott thank you so much for for being with us today uh sharing your insights and and giving us the blessings of the value and all you have within within your knowledge set to helping us grow well it's great to be with the two of you and i look forward to uh, the time that we have together thank you so much doug so you traveled down from reno Right, a little hop, skip, and a jump down here. Yes, I think it's fascinating. We were talking earlier about uh, the amount of flights that you take, and so this isn't your first or second year. You've been doing this a little while, right? Thirty-eight years. Yep. Cena gave a fantastic introduction, but how does one get from, you know, where Doug McDermott started and gets into the insurance business all the way to then? Why don't we get like a little bit of a, a recap or a summary in your words? Who who are you to the, the listener? Well, how I got in the actual business, uh, I got in the business when I was 22 and a half. So I got in the business July of 79 and uh, looking at uh, career paths that I wanted to uh, pursue and to get involved with. Probably the biggest impact was uh, my father. Uh, he didn't get a chance to see me get into this business. He had passed away uh, prior to actually uh, me getting into this business, but his biggest impact was he had uh, and shared with me the desire to become self-employed and uh, with becoming self-employed my uh, father said that the opportunity to serve others and have an untapped potential only came from being self-employed now he wanted me to become a dentist or a doctor and uh, that didn't work out uh, you know I just I vir virtually met uh, many of my father's friends. My father was a math professor in college, and before that, um, he was in the Army, served with General Patton, wow. uh, served with, uh, in Korea as a combat infantry engineer. And so he had a lot of experience himself. Uh, when he came home from Korea, he got his uh, master's degree in Los Angeles. Uh, 
My brother and I both were born downtown Los Angeles in uh, Queen of the Angels. And yet my father, when we talked about uh, employment and what things to do, um, he had a recall that I had written uh, goals down at a very early age, uh, which was kind of uh, different for a child in fifth grade writing down two goals that you might want to do. And I continued to be that way. He just said I was different. You know, that's mm -hmm. the way it was. But his uh, big impact was wanting me to become self-employed and thinking that my potential was unlimited and that the opportunity uh, at being self-employed is you don't put a lid on yourself. Right. And that was really imperative that he came across uh, with those ideas. Uh, he was not self-employed. One of the goals was to always have a business with his two sons. That didn't happen. He passed on. Um, my brother became an L.A. sheriff, so he wasn't self-employed. My father, being a math professor and former Army, he wasn't self-employed, but he instilled in that in me, and I became uh, self-employed. And looking back, it's 38 years I've uh, been self-employed, and I feel myself extremely fortunate, very lucky uh, to have uh, started uh, being self-employed. And in this industry, I was... Uh, commission only, no draw, no salary. I've since changed the word commission. I get compensated for the services I render, so I don't look at being a commissioned person. I get truly compensated uh, for the services I render, but that's how I started um, getting into this business and uh, seeing opportunities. I had two other choices at that time. I'll share what those were so you could see choosing this industry was totally different than what could have happened. Uh, I was in an area where a professor uh, where I lived had me come and visit with him and for whatever reason he chose me just to uh, talk to him. My father had passed away and uh, he had two brothers. One brother built cities, literally built cities, and the other brother uh, had uh, his business and he built skyscrapers. Wow. And uh, that those skyscrapers were all in Honolulu at the time. So without releasing their names, uh, which is important, uh, this professor said, I have two brothers, and they're looking to find a uh, young man that they could train and mold into working them with their bu business. And they wanted one person that they could mold from scratch. Uh, and this professor said, you're it. You're that person. <laughs> I said, well, that's an honor. And... Uh, when the two opportunities, he said, well, one, you would go to Hawaii and you would start working on skyscrapers there. And he wanted you to uh, learn from scratch as an iron worker and then to go into uh, supervision and to help supervise. So that was a goal direction. The other one was building cities and wanted me to come in and help um, work in the management and learn and to be groomed in that area. Uh, both of them were unbelievable opportunities at that age. And uh, so I considered that, and I had a, a dear friend that said he called, made a call while these two opportunities were being presented to say, hey, why don't you become self-employed, be commission only, no draw, no salary, and start from scratch in the financial service area. And I looked at all three of those opportunities, and I was visiting with this professor and he said, showed the two choices of what he was offering. And uh, as a young man, the income opportunity and the uh, guarantees was unbelievable or having no guarantees. 
either you um, succeed or you fail and either starve or whatever. And I chose the latter of the three, and yet it had the greatest opportunity. And so I became uh, self-employed and uh, went into the financial service industry and got involved in the insurance business. And take us back, what year is this that we're referring to? Uh, July of 79. July of 79. So I, I moved from this area where I grew up and raised, where you're at right now, and uh, moved my family and uh, went up to Sacramento, didn't know a soul. My first friend was a Doberman pincher. <laughs> and I used to walk that poor dog to death. You know, most dogs are excited when you come home. When, my, when I'd come home, that dog would look at me like, oh, no, we're going for a walk. Because <laughs> I would meet people uh, on the streets, and I had my dog had a name that I had created that was so unique that people would say, what is it that you do with a name like that? What was your dog's name? Hilarum Zenoch Moriankamer I. And wow. so I named him Zenoch. And so people would say, what's your na- dog's name? I'd give him the full name, and then he says, well, what do you call him? And, Zenoch, and, and uh, they would go, wow. And then they'd ask, what do you do? And, I, and that would be my trigger uh, <laughs> to let them know I'm self-employed, I'm in the financial services, and, uh, and in the areas I'd walk my dog with many people my age and then those older, and I could tell them the story of what I did and would love to have an opportunity to come into their homes and to literally to share uh, what I did. Uh, but I think... The interesting part was when I took my test, just like you have done, we had to go do all this study and, and take your test. I remember the day I passed my test to get my insurance license. We had about 100 people in the room. It was the old days when you don't have all the computer stuff and you have to do it by hand. And So we had about 100 people in that room. And just before we left, the lady that was in charge of the test stopped everybody and said, I want you to know, uh, those of you who passed and those of you who failed, you can come back and get it again. But of of the 100 people in this room, know that in a year, only three of you will be in the business. Wow. I mean, that was really exciting stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking that only three would be in the room. And then she stopped. She says, and of those three, only one of you have a chance to succeed. Wow. And so I'm looking at everyone in this room, 100 people. And I think of the two jobs I just walked away from, Mm -hmm. two career opportunities, because at that age, those were career opportunities, not jobs. Um, And I went, well, I'm not only going to be one of those three, I'm going to be that one of the three that succeeds and excels in this business. So I I immediately set my own goals, even though what the uh, criteria was of succeeding, you're looking at, you know, 100 people and you're going, well, one of three, looking around like, well, I'm going to be one of those three. But right. then when they said one out of the three would succeed, I said, I'm not going to be a plotter. I'm going to be that one out of three that really succeeds, excels. So I started with that type of uh, philosophy, not realizing what I really had committed to. Wow. Do you think that being aware that you were self-employed was one of the items that allowed you to be the one that was successful? Because I would agree that... Being self-employed, you had only two choices, succeed or fail. You cannot be a plotter. And there's a lot of people who don't actually understand they're self-employed. But I want to talk a little bit about that word because in, in over the last maybe three to five years, there's been this word that has just become such a hot trending word, entrepreneur, right? 
is there a difference between you use self-employed and someone who uses entrepreneur in your opinion are they the same are they interchangeable they're interchangeable and the same but where I came from when my start it was self-employed my again as I shared with you my father he wanted me to become self-employed he didn't say be an entrepreneur he said become self-employed and so that being spoken of by my father um, that made an impact and so that's what I looked at I didn't think of myself as an entrepreneur I just thought I was self-employed meaning there was no lid to my potential and I could work as hard as I want and actually get compensated for the services I render rather than punch in and punch out now no offense those who punch in and punch out because they are successful it's just that my father put that that uh, it thought in my mind is that you don't want to have a lid on what you're capable of accomplishing. Well said, you know, also going back to the entrepreneur term, Matt, I believe years ago, um, self-employed individuals would graduate to becoming an entrepreneur when they're successful. Then later with the current generation, entrepreneur just became a very sort of loose, loose used term because when people were considered entrepreneurs, they were looked upon as very successful business people. Now almost anyone says I'm an entrepreneur. It's almost like an excuse. No, yeah. no offense, but no, you know, you're right. it, that's an excuse when they don't have a job. Right. They're an entrepreneur. Right. In other words, <laughs> they're unemployed. I'm an entrepreneur. Right? But being self-employed had a focus that that's what I did. I had my own business, and yet I was I had to report to myself. So you, you start the journey in 1979, and do you immediately you start your own practice? Do you go work for a large firm as, as an independent uh, agent? I chose a path that uh, was totally different than those in my time. In that period of time, people would go work for a large firm or they would go work for a large insurance company because there were many captive agencies at that time. Right. Or the big firms, there's a lot of the security firms that were trying to bring you in. So there's all the options with being self-employed in all of these different areas. Um, I chose a unique route, which, looking back, was the greatest blessing for me in the financial services. I went into an independent, hybrid, captive agency. Not a captive agency with a uh, major insurance company that we could name a slew of all the different companies. And those opportunities were that they would... They were called burn and churn. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they come in, or the security firms were trying to bring in people of my age as well. But of all things, I went into a hybrid captive agency where it was independent, had a lot of companies, but you were commission only, no draw, and no salary. Which is the, the best way, because usually you have the greatest potential in, in building your yourself as well. So I... Share with us throughout the years of being in the industry, many of these captive carriers have become broker carriers. For right. example, MetLife used to be captive. There used to be the man of the year back in the late 70s, early 80s. That was even before a lot of women were successful in the business. They called the top producer the man of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, John Hancock at one time was a captive agency. Um, Transamerica used to be a captive agency. Prudential. Yeah. Prudential. So I've noticed many of these large, phenomenal carriers, they've gone into brokeraging the business. How do you see that progression moving forward throughout the industry? Do you see that captive agencies will be able to make it when these large companies that were once captive have now helped create the current broker channel? I believe an opportunity is hybrid captive or totally being independent. 
and uh, the explanation of hybrid captive is there were a lot of good things about the old captive system, but they had a lot of bad in them. A hybrid captive system has the best of both, not the worst of each, but the best of both. And then there's also the true independent, which I have been independent besides being in that hybrid captive type of uh, industry. Uh, right now, I'm giving back the last one-third of my career to a hybrid captive organization, which I truly love and appreciate that privilege of helping others succeed. But your question of looking at independent has many opportunities being truly independent, but it's very lonely at the top. But it's got the best view. That's great. <laughs> but a hybrid captive, you can be at the top with the view yeah. and helping others succeed along the way. Well said. That is the highest high that an individual can receive. Well said. You know, not just being at the top with the view. It's lonely and not always fun because everyone's trying to knock you off that view. That's right. When you have uh, the hybrid captive, you can be the top but help many others be with you at the same time. That is much greater than just being at the top well I love that. So you're a master of systems. Anyone that knows you is uh, knows that you're a master of systems and stories. And you spent some time with the team this morning, and <clears throat> thank you again for that. It, it was awesome. But how how crucial is it to someone's success or for them to continue to increase what percentage of their potential they're actually tapping into? How important is the ability to tell stories, in your opinion? Stories enable you to relate. Stories are able to help you have others understand the purpose of your message. Stories, when it turns into a system, enables you to keep on track. All those things together are important. When I got in the business, I realized being commission only, which again I now call being compensated for the services you rendered. Uh, I don't use that word any longer, but you had to have a way to get in front of people. So I was very fortunate to have a, a gentleman in the area of Sacramento uh, saw that I was uh, very enthusiastic. I really wanted to succeed, to be that individual. And he came up to me and he says, I know you can't afford this. I want to give you um, a leadership, motivation, goal type of a program that he was just going to offer it to him uh, or offer from him to me. And he says, you will be able to pay me back in many other ways from what I'm going to give to you. He knew I was working with his son and that I could help his son in the business as well, the financial services. He was not in the financial services, but he gave me this program where I could learn goal setting. I could learn uh, how to use quotes to my advantage, how to sk learn scheduling in such a way that my entire time uh, could be used, and then to be able to find out uh, how to apply learning systems and getting education along the way. So it was a lot in this, uh, but it was concentrated. So I started realizing goals. Well, one of the first things that this taught me 
the very first time was he brought out a uh, white pad and he gave me a pen and he said, this is what I'm going to help you understand your potential and how to set goals and how to become successful in the financial service area. He says, I want you not just today, but to start and then leave and come back writing down everything that you would like to witness in your life. In other words, go see, experience, become, do, income, finances, giving back. He gave me a whole bunch of these lists. And he it said, and include that, being able to understand how would you like physically to be? Do you want to be sick? Do you want to be healthy? And he started doing this, and my mind was, was in such a fashion, I says, there must be a reason why he wants me to do this. You know, here he wants me to set goals, and you know, I'm in the financial services, I, I'm self-employed, which entrepreneur now, but uh, you know, self-employed. So I started writing down on this white pad all the things I'd like to see, all the things I'd like to do, experience, where I'd like to go, what I'd like to become. And part of it, he said, write down financial goals. Now think about 22 and a half is when this started, and I became 23 very shortly. And he's trying to have me think of all these things that I would want to do before I die. You know, and his purpose was, once I did that, he says, now, the only way that you are going to be able to do any of these is to be financially set or financially in a position to be set. In other words, setting goals. Yes. Um, uh, to do that. So I started looking at that and said, wow, I, I've, I've never comprehended that. You know, how often has anyone ever done that, you know, to do that? So I started writing it down, and he said, I'm going to give you this uh, package, and when you're done, I'm going to give you another. So what was he trying to have me create? A system. System. And so he was teaching me in that, and then I looked at what are what are systems for? And I looked at, uh, as a, an athlete, I played both baseball and football, got hurt in both of them, um, and knew that the potential that you have to have is you have to have systems. When you uh, prepare for any event, you have to have a system. In other words, you need to go and uh, prepare for that, work backwards, and how do you prepare for that? It's not just, oh, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. Um, and so he started having me understand education. What type of education am I going to need to be in the financial services? And to start writing down all the things that I would need to do. So the education was going to be immense if I wanted to succeed. If I wanted to be a plotter, I could just go in the field and be learn enough to what he said was just write applications. Well, I don't write applications. I enroll people in programs to help them give the features and benefits they find of value. So I learned these type of simple systems that I wasn't going to be just a hit and run person, you know, go into a home and write an app and leave. I wanted to be able to go into a home and help them enroll into programs. In other words, an opportunity to help them fulfill needs. So these things were being created uh, for me by having a chance to know, well, what do I need to do? So I started writing all these things down and then putting them into goals. And then I looked at the schedule 
is I literally would fill up my day in a color code of how many hours I would call for opportunities for appointments. So I did that. I put a schedule down that I would have so much time that I would actually go knock on doors. Now think of that today. Which we're still doing, that was amazing. Think about it, all right? So I had so many hours each week that I would go knock on doors. I would have so many hours that I'd be on the telephone. I had so many hours that I'd actually pick up policies to review. I had so many hours that I would schedule to uh, do enrollments, which today they call closes. Well, I just looked at enrollments. I would have so much time to do that. I used my Saturday so much time in between, uh, even to do a, a chance that if you didn't reach your goal, you knew that Saturday was to finish that up to reach your goal and then to start that. So I filled out my schedule and I had in that schedule how much time I would do for education, reading, studying, uh, practicing, um, and, and preparing myself so that this system that I'd be putting to place would be constant. And then I started collecting quotes. I have a book that I have collected since I started of my favorite quotes from people that if I can live these quotes and adapt them, then these quotes bring value. So so those all things started to play. So through this uh, career or journey progression, you've impacted a lot of other professionals such as myself, uh, Matt, um, thousands across the country in the industry. From your paradigm, what has been maybe the greatest characteristics between those that have succeeded and grown and those that have failed? The greatest of those that succeed is giving back, helping others succeed. Those that will succeed the most are those who are willing to help others surpass them and help them to grow and reach their goals. And by helping others reach your goals, you can reach any goal that you set by helping others reach theirs first. I love that. That hit home to me. Yeah, you got to give up to go up, right? Always. That's awesome. So you have some pretty phenomenal ways that you've made decisions to give back, right? We know a little bit, uh, Sina and I, about uh, your charity. But why don't you share a little bit about how, how did it come about and when, when did you, um, in your mind, was it a goal from a long time ago when you were writing these down as a young man that you'd one day have this or maybe along the way did it come up or at what point? When those times I was writing all those things down, I wrote down the importance of giving back. I said, I want to be in a position someday to give back. And I wrote down, I wanted to help others succeed. And I wanted also over my career to help the youth. So I had written all these different little things down. And then I also looked at, because of my father and my family who served in uniform for generations, one of the things I wanted to do was give back to veterans, even during that uh, time frame when I first started. And that was important to me. So the foundation uh, that you mentioned, the, the name of the foundation is called the Gift of Gratitude McDermott Foundation. And what we strive to do is to give back to veterans and to give back to those currently serving in uniform, men and women. Uh, We've created artwork 
that we have uh, actually commissioned an artist and uh, the concepts that we're trying to do is to give a gift not expected but deserved and uh, to help them understand that the gratitude of their service is respected, appreciated, and that they need to know that they're not forgotten. And so that part of the foundation uh, that we get a chance to give has been a tremendous blessing to me because we get to uh, surprise people literally uh, with the work of art. It's framed. It's amazing. Very selfless of you. I just want to brag, you being so humble, I want to brag that we've been fortunate to receive uh, two of these gifts for our veterans in our organization. And the moment, or what I'd like to say, the experience of giving this beautiful art piece to them um, is one that I will always remember. I mean, the emotions that are carried, and I can imagine what that feels like from the creator of the gift of gratitude, you. Um, that's That's gotta be, I can't even explain what that must feel like, considering what it feels like for me to just hand it to one of our veterans knowing it's from you. It's very powerful. It's humbling uh, to express gratitude. How often do you get to express gratitude to others? That's its purpose. That's its meaning, but to bring a smile to a veteran, a warmth within their heart that they feel appreciated. What greater gift is that? Yeah, amen. You know, to have that uh, opportunity. Uh, I get a chance to work with chaplains, and this next work of art that we're addressing, I'll take just a moment because it's not only for veterans and currently serving, it's also for the youth today, and it's concerned the subject of suicide. Mm. If you think of the impact that suicide has of families, friends, neighbors, loved ones, and, and how that is affecting in the world today, but how it affects our uh, veterans especially, and our youth, we have commissioned an artist to create a work of art to help those reconsider that last decision they make if it's in suicide. So suicide prevention, we are working right now to uh, bring out a work of art that will address that to help perhaps just the one. If we can help just one, what would that be? Absolutely. You already have a name for this current project. I know the Gifts of Gratitude is for the veterans. Yes, and this will be used for veterans, but we also hope that we can share it to youth. You know, youth groups that uh, we're having an epidemic in this country that uh, the youth are the taking. Suicide rate is up 70% right now for teenagers. I actually read this today, this morning. Isn't that absolutely amazing. humbling? It's amazing. Uh, so sad. So we hope that this humble work of art can uh, create thought to think of their value and their potential. And the work of art that uh, we'll title it for is The Lord Has a Better Way. In other words, when you think of uh, suicide, not only is it from pain, and we understand there's a lot of pain with, the, uh, could be physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, I could go on, but sometimes that pain is also when people compare themselves to others. Mm -hmm. 
you know, saying, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not like this person, or I, I don't measure up to this or that or whatever. Each individual's potential is unlimited. Each individual's worth is even greater than the unlimited potential that they have. And if we can help them think of their, that decision that from that time forward, what they can do to help others, that's hopefully what we can do, not just themselves, but what they might be able to do for others. And being self-employed and the goal of self-employed was an opportunity and privilege of giving back. And so that entrepreneur attitude, perhaps with the terminology today, maybe I didn't realize that being self-employed, that was my original goal from the beginning. And I never even uh, realized that what is termed today. Sure. Yeah, everyone just calls themselves an entrepreneur nowadays. And I remember years ago, someone would say, I'm an entrepreneur. He's like, wow, this gentleman's an entrepreneur. Wow, what, is that? what does he do? Now it's like, great, I play video games. I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and I, and I think uh, looking back and really wanting to become self-employed, I think what my father had envisioned, uh, I didn't actually reach what he wished me to do, but I think if he was here, he'd see that his guidance, his direction, uh, the purpose of me uh, being self-employed has enabled me to do what he ultimately wanted, and that was becoming a servant, but serving others, having a servant's heart, helping others reach their potential. And he said, being self-employed puts you in a position where if you take advantage of that, you can actually help others, but don't think that you cannot only help yourself. Uh, you must think of uh, when you're working to serve that family that you're serving is what is it that you can do to bring value to them? That's where I created the value finder. The value finder was a way to have participation from a client and asking them to participate by circling their answers, not Xing or checking, because it gave them a chance to understand participation. I always made sure I was able to get permission. That is an imperative uh, opportunity to bring value to someone. You must get permission to serve. You must have them understand that they'll participate and to do that on an ongoing basis, but to help them realize that your whole role from the value finder is to help them enroll in programs that literally bring them the features and benefits that they individually find of value. Our, our listeners, many of them are going to be similar to us, right? Where they're self-employed or entrepreneurs and they have limitless or lidless positions, but there is definitely the other side, right? And I, the other side being people who are in a career where um, it's not self-employed, right? And it's supporting the self-employed. And uh, we know that there's value in that. And, oh, of course. Um, but do you think that... Every, let me put, every member of the team right. is imperative. Okay. It's not the coach. Absolutely. It's the team. Do you think that someone who has is self-aware enough to know that they don't want to be self-employed, can they take principles from the self-employed mindset and apply them to an employee mindset and will there be fruit from it? Will they be happier? Will, they, will it cause impact in their life? Absolutely. 
I believe that philosophy starts with the non-self-employed. That's how the self-employed are able to become self-employed mm -hmm. because there are so many who have integrity and uh, apply their skills doing the very best in that job. And those that succeed the most are the ones with the greatest integrity of doing their job the very best they can. So the principles of being self-employed don't come from being self-employed. It's from the individual being honorable in their dealings with where they're at and applying their talents, their abilities, and helping others by living up to what they said they would do in that job. So I think those skills are as valuable, if not more valuable, with those who are not self-employed. So uh, they're transparent, but greater worth. Uh, my dad also was one that uh, taught me, what do you do? You treat the janitor as good, if not better, than the president of that company or that corporation or whatever. You must be able to reach out in communication so that the skills that you have affect the janitor as much, if not more, than the president. Yeah. And well don't you think? I, I wish I had the opportunity and privilege of meeting your father. You know, speaking about your dad, um, you collect golf balls because you are a golfer, and you collect these golf balls and have hung them on a plaque that you have named in honor of my father, H. Leland McDermott. Yes. I am living his dream. Yeah. So share with me that dream. Or was yep. he an athlete? My, my father was an athlete. Uh, he didn't pick up golf till later. Uh, my father was drafted early in his life where he served all of World War II. Um, he came home, got his degree, was commissioned an officer, and then went to Korea uh, on the front lines as a combat infantry engineer. But uh, he was a baseball player. He was a pitcher and got hurt. In the military in his arm that he was pitching with um, so he couldn't do that uh, came home and picked up golf later but what impressed me uh, so much and why that plaque became that plaque and I have almost right now 800 different logo balls from around the world wow. um, and I only put a logo ball on that wall of the courses that I've actually played and no I'm not anywhere near the golfer my father was I'm not anywhere near the golfer my brother was but I still have a hootload of fun uh, doing that. Well, uh, to give a background, my father was one of those that he was not self-employed, but my father was indeed one of the hardest workers I've ever met in my life. And he gave everything he could to uh, his employment. He was administrator during the day, and he was a college professor of mathematics at night. He loved to teach, and he would give everything to his students. I'll give you one story which led so that you can appreciate why that plaque is there. Sure. Uh, there was a young man that uh, I went to high school with and when I moved on, uh, you know, just like high school when you're done, you don't really get to keep in contact mm -hmm. uh, with everyone, but this young man wanted to become a nurse. And he was uh, taking the math classes in college and absolutely having the most difficult time doing this math. It just wasn't working, but he knew he had to get the math out of there for, for, to pursue his degree in nursing. 
And he came up to uh, my father and he, uh, he said, uh, Mr. McDermott, I need to pass this math class and other math classes in order to pursue my goal as a nurse. I need to get this done. And, and I suck at math. <laughs> and my father said, well, would you like me to help you one-on-one? -on -one? And he says, you would? He says, yes. What you can do is I'm going to have you come over to my home, not in the environment here at school, and I'll tutor you myself to help you pass my class and the other math classes that you would have. And he took my father up on that and not only passed uh, with a great grade in his class, he passed all the other math classes really well um, in all the other classes that he had to use in, in math. Well, sometime after that, the home next to my father, my father's home was for sale. Uh, my father had passed away, it was my mother was just there. And who do you think bought that home next to my mother? That student wow. that he helped wow. become a nurse and he became able to not only be a nurse, he was an expert in his field. He was able to do um, all the emergency nurses worked along with the doctors uh, for shooting, stabbings, you name it, and it was then in the helicopter, and actually wow. in many of them in those days that you could work the doctor and then the nurse could also help you. That's like being uh, you know, in the military, the medics that are there, that he was to that skill, and then the level of then being over hundreds of nurses. But that young man bought the home next to my mother. And uh, my mother did not really know him because my dad would be helping him at night, tutoring him with the math. And uh, he came over and ringed the doorbell of my mom. And my mom uh, was there, and, and he said, oh, Mrs. McDermott, you don't know me from Adam. I just bought your home. I have my wife and I have two little kids. He says, but starting today, you'll never take out the trash. You'll never have to paint this house. Anything you need, I'll be there. Wow, amazing. So are you in touch with this gentleman? I am. Wow. He's a dear friend. And he what would tell you the story. story even greater than I could share. Right. But the key was, what did my father teach me? To serve. serve. Yeah, and he taught him that same. Same principle. thing. So when you truly serve, what does that mean? How many generations can it affect? Many, multiple. 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 So, again, how to succeed and become truly successful is helping as many others succeed as you can along the way. That's the measurement of success. Very powerful. Very powerful. I think you'd agree, right? You, you've had great success in impacting and providing value to other people. The byproduct of that has also been great financial success over the years I think that there is there's a divide with a lot of people where they find a hard time connecting some of the goals like you talked about writing all these things down and some of it was travel some of it was financial some of it all these things they have a hard time connecting making money and financial or material things as goals 
pairing that with serving other people like as if it's selfish or things like that and so i have two-part question one what is your thought on that and then second i'm i'm sure you've accomplished more than maybe you thought you were going to at 22 when you first wrote the goals down they evolved how do you continue to expand bigger and bigger without it's scary sometimes to think what that next big accomplishment you want to try to tackle is. So, Well, when I would go into a home, you know, my goal was to help them enroll, find out through value fighting what they needed. I made a point beginning of my career, because I watched many other agents, and they always talked about what? Sales. Sales. Right. How much commission they were going to make. How much are they going to make if they sold this, sold that? You know, they were looking at all these different things and all I could hear from them, they didn't say how they wanted to help them. They were talking about what? Themselves. Themselves and how much they could make and how much, they, instead of selling this product, they're going to sell that product. And it helped me to understand that if I go in with the intention of finding out really what is a value, I am never going to look at how much I could potentially make if I could literally help them provide a service, I knew that in the reverse, that somehow I could not only provide an income that could provide for my family, but could literally help me to grow my business, and I would be able to get referrals and recommendations, is that system I learned from that principle. So I didn't look at, well, how much can I make? I went then, what would be best? I will do that first, knowing that if I do enough that's best, I'd also have a chance to be able to provide for myself and my family. That was my philosophy, and it turned out to be the absolute best philosophy over time because getting referrals and recommendations, I would have my clients say, I would like you to go see so-and-so and so-and-so, and, -so and, and uh, seeing that there was a system that I created a system to get referrals and recommendations. I made it fun but it was successful. Now, the other part of your question is still having goals. I have a lot of goals. I realized I have not even scratched the potential that I have here on earth. I haven't even scratched those potentials or what I can accomplish. But my goals now are helping others reach their potential. That is now my focus of my goals because if I can help others, what can they then do in helping someone else? Not just their clients, but helping others also succeed. Many people think, well, you know, that's horse manure. Well, that's, that's not. And I don't use those other words, so sure. you, you understand that. But the key is that can be your focal point is when you actually do that for whatever reason, the opportunity to help people enroll in programs becomes even that much more available to you because you're applying principles of uh, succeeding. Now, do you still have to put financial goals? Yes, because you need to have financial goals to accomplish. I could not help my foundation um, pay for commissioning of the artwork mm -hmm. or to present uh, these veterans their gift if I didn't have the finance to do that. It, that's impossible. So you still have to have financial goals and yet still knowing I have not scratched my potential here on earth, 
that's what I hope that I can uh, give to young men and young women is to help them see that their potential is truly unlimited. And if they realize that they have an unlimited potential, what then do they need to do? The steps today so that they can reach that potential in the future. Hopefully it's nearer rather than distance, but it, you have to also have a journey. And the journey is such that, how do you do that? You have to have goals. You have to have the systems in place, but most importantly, you have to continue to practice those systems. I think we addressed that on your we did. Uh, on the program you had this morning. And how often should you practice? As much as you can. As much as you can. Yeah, it's amazing. So we were talking this morning and he we figured that on average he's on roughly somewhere between 10 to 15 flights per week depending on the number of connections and where he ends up flying but meaning he will then sit next to somewhere between 10 to 15 people on every flight and every flight is his opportunity to practice talking to a potential client or someone he can serve and practice everything that he does you sure you didn't want to be a pilot you know (laughs) uh during Vietnam, when it was over, the last of the draft uh, was my senior year in high school. And I went to play football in college, got hurt. But uh, I also served two years uh, for my church as a missionary. But when I came back, I actually went uh, to the Marine Corps and wanted to become a um, helicopter pilot. And uh, so you're thinking of a pilot. And I ended up in this business because they didn't want any more pilots. Uh, you know, at the end of Vietnam, they were re- releasing everybody. So uh, I remember the colonel saying, go back to school. I went back to school and then got in this business. So, uh, you know, how many times as a child do you think, well, I want to be uh, in the financial service section, right? <laughs> not that often. It's ever. not going to happen. Right. Yeah, or, or to think, well, I'd like to be an insurance agent. Now, think, you know, in kindergarten, what, what is it that you want to do? They said, fireman, right. a pilot, a doctor. Could you imagine if I would raise my hand, well, I'd like to be an insurance agent. And then go into the financial services. Right. So what so is that? Because Matt actually wanted to be an entrepreneur in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually the, the younger generation these days in elementary is like, I want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And then he would ask, well, what does that mean? He says, they have no I, idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I'd like to be unemployed and go play golf. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, take it. At the, and, and thank you so much, Doug, for, for everything you shared with us. So powerful, emotional, and listening to you, connecting with you. Here's, here's a, a wild question or, or a fun one. If you could form the ultimate foursome today, you being one of those four players, who would, who would be the other three that you'd throw on that squad and, and get around the golf with? Without question, my father, who's passed on, uh, my brother Keith, who's passed on. Uh, and thinking of that uh, last person in the foursome, uh, one of the golfers that was my, fa- my, my father's favorite was Billy Casper. Billy Casper. And I had the pleasure of doing a pro-am before Billy Casper passed on. And so I was able to honor uh, my father by playing with Billy Casper. Now, I didn't get to finish the story of the plaque, and I will finish that in conclusion. So my father, during his time as in the military, as a teacher and administrator, uh, he did not take time off for being sick or say any of those things and he had accumulated years not months or weeks years of 70s 
sick leave to get that was when you could roll over you know you mm-hmm. can't do that today you know, right. hr and everything else yeah but in those you could roll over well someone came into my father the hr area and said to me he said lee you're the most i've ever seen since i've been here and he says you have years i think it's like seven to nine years of uh, sick leave accumulated you know over your career and he wow. says um We'd like to offer you to take that in a lump sum, and you could even retire early, and and have that on top of it. And my dad looked around, and he, he, he went home, talked to my mom, and said, "You're a school teacher, you're a fifth grade teacher. I could retire and just go golf around the world, just for fun. And I'd come back, you know, we'd, we'd go golfing together. But you're a teacher, I could just play golf all around the world." Well, he went to go ahead and tell them that that was uh, what he decided he was going to do. And the week prior to him giving that, he came home and he saw a lump on his arm that was the size of a golf ball. And it came that fast. He didn't know how it happened. And so there was a size of a golf ball lump on his arm. And he goes, I must got hit with a golf ball. I didn't even know it. And it just, you know, happy. Well, they uh, said, no, Lee, you have to go see a doctor. And uh, he went to the doctor, and it was cancer. And uh, that experience uh, that he had for one year, he went through all the cancer treatments and, and lived. He did not get a chance to play golf for a full year, not swing, but in his mind. How many rounds do you think he had played? <laughs> a lot. Well, the first experience that he had uh, once he had finished the cancer, the doctor had told my father, he said, Lee, you can go and play. And they were having a tournament uh, for these educators in the Los Angeles area. And the first day my father was ever swing a club was inside a tournament. He got Uh, longest yard, closest uh to the pin, and low gross. Remember, he had not swung a club for over a year and – had got the longest drive closest to the pin and low gross. Uh, They named that tournament for years and years after my father passed away. But what had happened was during uh, the holidays after that happened, uh, my father's nickname was Mr. Christmas. Mm -hmm. And starting Thanksgiving, my father would only wear red or green until January 1st. Now think of that, you know, someone, professor, administrator, and he'd only wear red or green, well, uh, that period of time, after he had played that tournament, it was the holidays and he was able to do that, uh, he took his medicine one night uh, for his heart and uh, he passed away and we found out the next day the doctor had given my father the wrong heart medicine and killed my father. So he had went through all the cancer, did everything else and um, uh, was killed uh, by taking the wrong heart medicine uh, by accident. But still, nevertheless, he did not get to reach his goal of what he was going to do with retiring. And so at that early stage in my life, I made the commitment uh, on behalf of my father that I would live my father's dreams. And uh, the only way I could see accomplishing that is being, again, self-employed. You know, how would you have an opportunity to play that that many rounds of golf all around the world Mm -hmm if you weren't in a position to have that privilege. You know, and I knew that I would not be a pro golfer, so that's not, you know, not going to happen, but I have done that. 
And so that plaque was put in my wall in each office that I've had to show me what is that other goal I'd written down is to honor my father and to play those rounds of golf in his behalf. So that foursome literally would be my dad, my brother, Billy Casper for uh, my dad. So That's an amazing story, Doug. So, um, Mr. McDermott, I want to thank you so much for uh, coming out to our studio, uh, giving us uh, so much of your time. I know that you're always traveling. You probably got a flight again later today. I actually do. Um, we, we're, we're excited to, to share this segment again with our listeners. Uh, I, I thank you. And the one, one last piece I was going to ask you is, Please. what are maybe some words of wisdom that you can give to the millennial generation that um, – is growing up sort of trying to find themselves and identifying what it is that they want to do and their purpose in serving. You know, I, I have a way to address that from what I learned was my greatest strength and also my greatest weakness. My greatest strength is the ability to work. My greatest weakness is the ability to work. And in this generation, most don't work to their potential. They work enough to get by or enough for that next toy that they want. To really have a chance to succeed, you must apply the work schedule for more than just a mere goal. There must be a purpose with that goal. I think the quote by Paul J. Meyer, which helped me as a getting into this business, he said, success is a progressive realization of predetermined personal worthwhile goals. So I think work is a succession that you have goals and you must make them worthwhile along the journey that you have whatever profession you choose. But in so doing, make sure that part of that process and journey is the ultimate, is serving others. And you're definitely doing that. Thank you so much for serving us, our listeners. Mr. Doug McDermott from the Reno, Nevada, originally I said all the way from Sacramento, but Mr. Doug McDermott, thank you so much for all that, all that you provide for us and all the individuals you've served, both directly and indirectly. We appreciate you and your time. And the People's Advisor, Matt Franchina, thank Absolutely. you so much, Another Friday, stay fired up and run with all this stuff you get from Doug. Way to rock the house, Doug. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you bet.